What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 14 of Preloaded, the podcast dedicated to previewing and talking about all of the biggest and most exciting upcoming video games. My name is Josh Finderup, and I'm joined, as always, by the other half of Preloaded, Jackson Vanover. How are you doing this week, Jackson? I'm doing so great, Josh. Next Gen is here, and it's a great time to be a gamer. Yeah, did you get your Xbox? I sure did. I got my Xbox Series X in the mail. It was like 5 p.m. yesterday, so I've had like maybe five hours with it so far. Nice. Yeah, I just got mine this morning. It came a day late. It's Wednesday, by the way, for people listening. That's when we record and got mine a day late, so I haven't had a chance to hook it up, but it'll be interesting to see how that goes. We will likely be talking about that next week, but this week, We have a bunch of news to talk about. EA came out with some interesting reveals that we're going to discuss, and PlayStation released a slate of releases for 2021, at least potential release windows, so that's very interesting. And we're going to talk about our hands-on impressions, a review discussion, I guess you could call it, of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. We've both had a significant chunk of time with that game, so that'll be Very interesting. You want to stick around for all of that. But first, Preloaded posts every Friday on both of our YouTube channels. You can catch it on my YouTube channel. I'm Quest Mode or over on Jackson's YouTube channel. He's J-V-J-A-Y-V-E-E. If you prefer to listen, you can catch the audio version over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you are listening on any of those platforms, we'd love for you to leave a review. That's probably the biggest thing you can do to help us grow our audience as we try to build Preloaded into a into a thing. And you can write into Preloaded at the email address preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. We welcome all of your feedback and your comments, but we'd also love to get your questions. At the end of every show, we dig into our mailbag and we answer one of the questions that you send in. And we love reading them. We read all of your questions. So again, that's preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. And speaking of questions, we are going to kick things off, as always, with the segment, Who the Hell Are These Guys? This is where Jackson and I answer a question to help you get to know us as gamers about our gaming preferences and our gaming history and all that stuff. So, Jackson, the question that we are going to answer this week is, what are your gaming guilty pleasures, or do you have any gaming guilty pleasures? And if so, what are they? So, Josh, the one that comes to mind for me, and this may not even be a guilty pleasure for you, but it is for me, uh, and by you, I mean everyone listening, and Josh included, mine is looting absolutely everything just on the map. In whatever kind of game I'm playing, if there's looting, I have to go to every single corner and loot everything, even though it's not going to impact my experience at all. It's something that I do and I kind of feel gross about and I try to not do it, but I just, you know, it's one of those things that I get into a loop with and it's hard to break. So I would say just like looting obsessively is my guilty pleasure. I can definitely relate to that. And along (laughs) those lines, I don't know if this is something you do. I will break every clay pot or crate Mm -hmm. or whatever it is in a room that just, even if there's, I know there's nothing in them. I just sometimes (laughs) get in the habit of just doing that a lot. I've done that in uh, Valhalla quite a bit. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, so one of my guilty pleasures is uh, this is, or, or, or shames even you could call it, is just <laughs> mo- mobile games. I, I don't play them a lot, but when I get into a mobile game, I find that I just can't put them down. And uh, lately, my, my guilty pleasure has been, get this, calling this a video game is a stretch. The New York Times crossword puzzle app on my phone has been like just, I'll, I'll, I'll sit there and play it while my game is loading, and I'll keep playing it even after my game loads and I so it's it's not a good habit I just wanted yeah just as an aside um I just want to say that my girlfriend and I have previously been obsessed with the New York Times crossword puzzle it is very obsessive they're addictive anyways moving on to actual video games we are going to now get into our out this week segment where we review all of the games coming out the week that the podcast posts or I should say the week following I'm still getting used to this Friday schedule Uh, So starting on Monday through Friday. However, this week we only have one major game of note that is coming out. Uh, It comes out on November 20th for the Switch, and that's Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. So if you are a Legend of Zelda fan and a Breath of the Wild fan, uh, you can get your your Hyrule on in Hyrule Warriors. Jackson, uh, I I think I know the answer, but you going to dip your toes into the water on this one? 
I think I'm going to pass on this one. Uh, it just doesn't seem like my kind of game. If it was more of a Breath of the Wild experience like that game was, maybe. But uh, yeah, I'm going to pass on this one. Yeah, with all the next-gen stuff coming out, I'm in the same boat. Uh, but exciting for people who are into Zelda and uh, who have a Switch and maybe aren't picking up a next-gen console this week. So uh, moving on, we now have our review roundup. There's a lot to talk about here. A lot of games came out this week. Uh, this is where we check out all the games from the previous week and look at what they're scoring over on Open Critic. And we are going to start with the big one, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, released to... I would say great reviews. Eighty-four uh, percent uh, is the critic average, and ninety-one percent of critics are recommending it. Yeah, I was really happy to see this, just because I've I've talked with developers before who are very passionate about their game, and you kind of always root for devs to get good scores. Um, yeah, just because it's good for the life cycle of the game, and they put so much hard work into it. So yeah, I was really happy to see that. Yeah, same here. Uh, so now we're going to get into a bunch of PlayStation, I'm just going to say PlayStation exclusives because some of these are on both the PS4 and the PS5, but Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales is got has gotten a critic average of 85% and a recommended score of 93%, so fantastic reviews there, I think to no one's great surprise. Uh, but, yeah, that, that yeah. that's something that I think a lot of people expected. This is going to be the first PS5 game I play personally. Yeah, it's really exciting that it's uh, reviewing well, looks gorgeous, uh, um, Bug Snacks, yeah, maybe this is a surprise for some people. Got really good, I, I well, 76% critic average and a recommended score of 67%. But a lot of the reviewers I've actually listened to their reviews are really high on this game. Yes, I've noticed that too. And I'm, it's a quirky thing where every single time we've seen it in the, in the showcases, we're like, oh, what is that thing? But the more I've kind of bought into the quirky weirdness of it, the more I'm excited about it. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to play Bug Snacks for sure. Yeah, and it's free if you have PS Plus, by the way. Um, then The Pathless came out. Uh, that is getting really good reviews. Maybe the the best reviews uh, of the week outside of, well, it's got 80% critic average and a 93% recommended, which is higher than I expected. I guess that's what I was trying to say. Yes, this looks like a very unique game, and I think that's why it's kind of one of those indie games that's different, and because it's different and they do a really good job at what they're going for, it scores really well. I really want to play this game, personally. Yeah, me too. I mean, between Bug Snacks, this, Spider-Man, I mean, it, what, a, what a, a well-rounded launch lineup for PlayStation it's turning out to be. Absolutely. Uh, so Devil May Cry 5 Special Edition uh, is getting 87%. Uh, critic average and a recommended score of 93%, so great, but we we uh, knew that game was a good game already. Uh, not my cup of tea, but I know that people who like these uh, type of hack and slash games really liked Devil May Cry 5. Um, and speaking of hack and slash, Godfall uh, is not doing that great. It has a critic average of 61%, which sounds bad until you see that it has a recommended score of 17%. So that's disappointing, to say the least. Yeah, this is rough. Uh, Godfall has been an emotional roller coaster for me. If you guys listen to the show, I've been up and down and up and down. And this is another down. I really want to play it. But if there's so many other games out, why would I play a game that doesn't you know, perform very well like this? So Yeah, um, I, I mentioned before the show, I did see one reviewer that re that seemed to really like it. But I also know that review codes for this just went out pretty recently. So I don't think a lot of people have spent a ton of time with the game. Uh, so be interesting to see how this score maybe evolves. Uh, next up is a an Xbox exclusive. I think it's also on PC, but Bright Memory. I uh, put this on here just because this kind of got some attention for being a really gorgeous game that's only developed by one guy. It's that first-person shooter that Xbox showed off in their first showcase for the Xbox Series X. But it is unfortunately getting a, a critic average of 58% and a recommended score of zero. Um, one of oh. the, yeah, one common theme I saw in all the reviews was this game is so bad it's good. <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. that's not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I think it is worth noting just because it, it did get some attention. Um, then we have uh, the review roundups for both the Series X itself and the PS5. And I thought I would just go through and read a, a, an excerpt from some of these reviews uh, for the Series X. Let's see, I had a... Okay, this is the one I wanted to read. This is from Engadget for the Xbox Series X. And the author here is Devendra Hardawar, who writes... The Xbox Series X is everything the Xbox One wasn't. It's fast in every way. It handles 4K gaming with ease. 
and it obliterates lengthy load times. It's purely focused on delivering the best gaming experience possible. Instead of being a half-hearted, all-in-one entertainment device, the only problem is there aren't many compelling games at launch, which leaves Microsoft a bit flat-footed against the PS5. Still, even without many exclusive games, the Series X will run many existing games just as well as a modern PC, and for many gamers, that's enough. And I will say, without reading all these other um, reviews, if you want to check this out, by the way, Open Critic has a really great just roundup of all the reviews that hit the internet for the consoles, and these are all generally very positive. I didn't see anyone yeah. g- give it a bad review. Yes. Yeah, I've been seeing, just kind of floating around the internet, I've been seeing the same, a lot of positivity. That right there is a very good, succinct review, I will say. I mean, that says uh, about as much as you could possibly say about these consoles in few words. Yeah, and really the only uh, knock, if you want to call it that, against the Xbox Series X, it's not hardware related. It's it's exactly what they said, that there's just not a lot of games that you can't play elsewhere right now. In fact, yes, there may not be a that, that is. <laughs> right. I think the Falconeers may be one. That's the one that comes to mind. But no big games, no heavy hitters like PlayStation has, which I, I don't know. I, I'm a little back and forth. That doesn't personally bother me. Like, it's not, you know, I've popped my, uh, we'll talk about this later, but I've played Valhalla on the Xbox Series X, and it is a night and day upgrade. So if you see it almost as like a an upgrade to your PC, a new graphics card, that's how it feels to me, but it's in console form. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about that uh, at the end of the show. Um, so the PS5 has a, a just a similar uh, review roundup, uh, again, on Open Critic, and this one I'm going to read is from The Verge, and Andrew Webster wrote, Physically, the PS5 is a brash, intimidating piece of hardware, one that is clearly meant to signal a major shift, but underneath its changes are much more... S- but underneath, its changes are much more subtle, at least right now. This isn't a move from standard definition to high definition or watching Mario explore a 3D space for the very first time. Instead, it's a series of smaller, though still important shifts, like faster speeds and a more immersive controller, which all add up to a markedly better experience compared to the PS4 by every conceivable metric aside from the space it takes up. I can't tell you what the future holds, but right now the PS5 is a great piece of hardware. It might not be clear what makes the PS5 interesting just from watching trailers or live streams, but once it's in your hands, the next generation is a lot more obvious. So, um, again, these were all very positive reviews. I didn't see anyone who was down on it. Um, I think that probably the least positive one was actually from IGN, who, let me see if I can find a quote here, that this was from Luke Riley at IGN, and he said, with the launch lineup dominated by games that are also available on PS4 and on the back of a generation already punctuated with incrementally more powerful hardware revisions, like the PS4 Pro, the PS5 doesn't quite land as a knockout punch yet, but it's definitely got the power and speed to be a real contender. So... Other than that, I mean, all these were great. Yeah, and I I get the perspective there. It's valuable to have a different perspective when most, you know, reviews are very, very positive. Luke makes a really good point there about this maybe not being an essential buy. And that's kind of what we've been saying on the show, right? Like, we don't have it in our hands yet, but this generation feels like it's just, yeah, it's iterative. It's an upgrade. Yeah, as an enthusiast and as someone who, you know, does this as a job, I wouldn't ever not buy these consoles like i i feel like i must have them but if i was a more casual gamer i mean spending 500 dollars on either of these boxes uh, especially if i was on a budget there's nothing here that is screaming you must get this right now uh, if you if you have a prior gen console that is right i'm right there with you yeah so that is our review roundup i guess kind of a special next gen edition of the review roundup we are now going to take our first break and when we get back we're going to get into the week in previews. We'll be right back. And we're back. We are now going to get into the week in previews. This is the segment where we dig into all of the news that came out the prior week about all of the games coming out in the coming weeks and the coming months. We're going to start with a surprise reveal slash announcement that I feel like kind of went under the radar in a earnings call the CEO of Electronic Arts, Andrew Wilson, revealed Battlefield 6, or the next Battlefield, whatever they call it, is in development and set for a holiday 2021 release. So here's the direct quote from Wilson. He said, quote, We have hands-on playtesting underway internally, and the team's been getting very positive feedback on the game as we've begun to engage our community. 
The next Battlefield is set to launch in holiday 2021, and we are excited to share a lot more about the game in the spring. So that'll be fun to look forward to. Uh, He also said that the next Battlefield will feature, quote, a never-before-seen scale and that the technical advancements of the new consoles are allowing allowing the team to deliver on a true next-gen vision for the franchise. So uh, believe it or not, Battlefield is the one multiplayer shooter that I've probably spent the most time with. So maybe this will pull me back into the multiplayer side of things. What are your thoughts on this, Jackson? Yeah, I think it's something that we knew was going to happen. We know we're getting more Battlefield. It's too big of a franchise for EA, even though they have been stumbling the past few battlefields i feel like battlefield one and battlefield five didn't really uh hit the mark i think compared to other massive open not open world um massive uh you know competitive fps online games especially with the advent of battle royale i i really do feel like battlefield's fallen behind but i think this is interesting because it really like he said about the technology Next gen consoles really do kind of um, allow them to push things further. And even though we like to talk about how like PC is is, you know, the best experience for these kinds of games, the fact that these next gen consoles are pushing the bar further is going to uh, further that bar, I believe, for the PC version of Battlefield six as well. So I'm excited to see what it does technically. Yeah. So uh, look for more Battlefield six or battlefield whatever they call it info in spring of this coming year so that's that's exciting um and then along the same lines or i guess keeping with electronic arts we got a bunch of mass effect news uh finally and uh jackson you're the mass effect guy so i'm gonna uh, let you take these two stories all right so mass effect legendary edition uh which is the trilogy remaster was officially revealed this uh, it was one of the worst kept secrets, uh, I think, in games uh, for the last couple months. I don't know how long it's been. Yeah, but I, I did yeah. call it, though. I did say that this was a real thing. Just want to put yes. that on the record. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, on N7 Day, which is the the yearly Mass Effect celebration, uh, Bioware and EA officially dated and announced Legendary Edition for spring 2021. So we're going to see this game um, not too far away now. Um, I, I would project, yeah, just a couple of months away. Uh, so we got a Bioware blog post from Casey Hudson, the uh, the studio lead over there at Bioware, their main studio. Um, they acknowledge the leak, which I always like how com- if companies you know actually do acknowledge stuff that's yeah. going on. It's maybe not perfect. I always appreciate that. Um, but yeah, just some line item things for this: updated textures, shaders, models, effects. And technical features are coming across all three games. If you guys remember, the original Mass Effect came out, I think, 2007 or 2008. It's an old game. Yeah. So um, that is the one thing that I'm most looking forward to is to seeing how they're able to lift up the original game. Um, I've talked about these games before. Two and three are fantastic. You heard me right. I think three is fantastic. But uh, one is my personal favorite because that's where I found the series. Um, but sorry, were you going to say something, Josh? Well, I was just going to say they even acknowledged a, a little while ago or it was found out by someone that the reason that this game didn't come out sooner was because they weren't satisfied with how the first one was looking and they wanted to really give it a facelift. Right. That's right. I think we reported that here on the show we as did. well. Uh, yeah. So I'm glad to hear that they're doing that and I want to see how they're able to bring that game up up, up to par. Um, but one of the other line item things is higher resolution. We expect that. So 4K Ultra HD and then another thing to consider, this includes all single-player base content and DLC, plus promo weapons, armor packs. Like This is uh, an era of video games where you had to go to Best Buy or GameStop or another retailer to get specific weapon packs. Like You couldn't hmm. get them any other way. So um, it'll be cool to kind of have that all in one place and see how it looks on um, current-gen consoles. Yeah, so I heard some people were a little disappointed. Some people who I listened to were disappointed that this isn't more than just like, or they, they, they seem to think that this was like an up-res, despite what we just said about the first game. Is that the impression you're getting, is that this is maybe like the bare minimum that they could do for a remake? Or I'm not a remake, but a, a, a remaster? Yeah, I think it's tough to judge right now. Um, I think that when you don't have all the details, it's very easy to say that it's just a facelift. Um, yeah. That report about, Mass Effect 1 is very encouraging, though, because they saw that it wasn't in a place to release, and so they didn't release it. And I think that we have enough remasters um, to know that this, like, 
sorry, EA has seen enough remasters out in this space to know the difference between what look what's good and what's bad. I don't think it's been a while, I think, that we've seen a bad remaster. I think Kingdoms of Amalur was the last one where people were kind of critical of it. So yeah. I think companies have learned their lesson and you have to just hope that EA is going to as well. And also, this is very clearly a remaster. Yeah. Um, and, and in my opinion, it's not a remake. And so, like you said, some people are disappointed by that. But um, at least we know for sure from EA, like this is a remaster. This is not like a Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3 situation. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. And then Mass Effect, whatever the next Mass Effect news is. Again, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm not going to step on your toes here. I'll, I'll let you do this one as well. Okay. I've got this. Um, so obviously we know Andromeda came out and it, it wasn't uh, a home run to be nice about it, I guess you could say. The next Mass <laughs> Effect was <laughs> officially announced to be in development in that same blog post. So this is a direct quote from Casey Hudson. A veteran team has been hard at work envisioning the next chapter of the Mass Effect universe. We are in early stages on the project and can't say anything more just yet, but we're looking forward to sharing our vision for where we'll be going next. And then they gave us a little teaser image that really, I don't think says anything concrete, but... In my mind, I, I'm just wondering, is this a sequel to Andromeda? Even though it was sort of memed into oblivion, are they going to still go forward with those characters in that story? Or is this completely new? Um, I think they could go a lot of different directions with this game. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's exciting. I didn't play Andromeda. I mean, the only Mass Effect game I've played is Mass Effect 2. And I did really, really like it. But I love the idea behind the story of Mass Effect Andromeda. I, I, I'm familiar with the story, like, you know, going to a whole new galaxy and and all that. So I'm not going to complain either way. If it's a good game, it's, <laughs> it's a good game. Yes, I, I, I won't either. I just, I'm, I'm rooting for Bioware. I want them to, to find some more success. They've had a couple yeah. L's in the last few years. And just to... Um, kind of speculate a little bit more. I'm curious whether they're going to stick with the open world like they shifted to with Andromeda or if they're going to go back to the very action third-person shooter pretty much focus like they had with the original trilogy. Um, I would like to see it go either way, personally. It's kind of hard in this day and age to go away from open world, though, because uh, I think you see a lot of games going in that direction instead of away from it. That is the trend for sure, and those games, I mean, it, it is, to, to me, personally, those open-world games are much more addictive. Sometimes, I've talked about it on the show, I get a little bit of fatigue from them, but once I get into one, I just can't stop playing it, so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah, Assassin's Creed-itis, is that what we called it that one uh, time? No, Assassin's Creed fatigue. Creed fatigue. <laughs> Creed fatigue, that's what it is. <laughs> yep, yeah, so... Um, yeah, this game, though, I'm sure it's a long way off, but it'll be exciting to see when they finally reveal it. Maybe when we finally get another real convention, we'll get to see some Mass Effect. Yeah, crossing my fingers. Next, we got a, uh, a announcement. I, 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 well, it was actually a trailer. Uh, PlayStation released a PlayStation 5 launch trailer, and if you were uh, paying close attention, you would have seen at the very bottom there was some uh, fine print that actually revealed the release windows for some PlayStation 5 exclusives. And those are Ratchet and Clank, Gran Turismo, and Returnal uh, are all coming, so they say, in the first half of 2021. And then Horizon Forbidden West was revealed to be coming in the second half of 2021. So still pretty vague release windows. And, you know, I don't think there's anything here that, I think we all knew these games were coming in 2021, but it's nice to get something concrete. And, you know, they've said that God of War is coming in 2021. So if they can nail these, man, they're going to have a banger of a year. Absolutely. Like 2020 has been a pretty great year. I think a lot of yeah. people can agree with that. But whew, if all of this happens and we don't get further delays, um, and I don't know, is it fair to lump Cyberpunk into next year since it's already coming out at the end of this year? I mean, it just feels like, <laughs> the end of this year, tour, like through the end of 2021, is going to be insane for games. Yeah, yeah, this and then Halo, if that manages to uh, turn turn around. Well, I don't know if I should say turn around yet, but if that manages to be what they want it to be, that's going to be another one. Yeah, 2021 is looking to be good with the with COVID. You know, I made a video on my channel last year that was the top like 35 games coming out in 2020, and then COVID happened, and like half of those games. <laughs> <laughs> you know, didn't come out when people thought they were. So I feel like 2021 is going to be the benefactor of of that unfortunate situation. 
Yeah, I think so too. Are you getting comments on that video? Like, hey man, these got delayed. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I haven't looked at it in a long time. It, it really okay. under it's severely underperformed. I think that yeah, video for some whatever reason people didn't watch it. But uh, no, I didn't didn't notice that. Um, gotcha. I think everybody understands, you know, the global situation we're in. Right, and I, I did want to add one thing to this little story. Do you think that uh, this is kind of not the smartest thing to say, like for PlayStation to come out and say that 2021 is going to be amazing? Like, does that make people less excited for the launch of the PS5? Or do you think that just bolsters their excitement to grab it at a later date when they can? I think if uh, if the games they're releasing for the launch review well, which it appears they are, we haven't seen anything for Demon Souls yet, or Sackboy, but if they review well, I think that they're that, that they're in the clear that this only would bolster. You know, that means that people will have plenty to play right now, and this will give them a lot to look forward to. And I think that you know, Sony, in my opinion, has been relentless um, going up against Microsoft. Like they are not um, not messing around, cutting them any slack. Yeah, and so I think that's what they're doing here. They're just you know, despite that they, the fact that they might have the upper hand already, they're just. Go- going all out saying, here's what you can look forward to. We've got a ton of games. You can't play them anywhere else. Buy a PlayStation 5, even though you probably won't be able to find one in stores for a good three or four months. <laughs> yes, Sony absolutely came to play. And so far, it looks like they're doing a great job. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that Xbox is going to, you know, that I think Xbox is going to do fine. I mean, right now, I mean, scalpers are already selling those things for like twice the price on eBay. So it's hard to find a Series X as well. But yeah, Sony is really going to sock it to Microsoft in the exclusives department if they can. And it appears that they might they might be doing it. Yep, a little bit of an early lead. Yeah. So uh, speaking of uh, exclusives, the for Microsoft anyways, uh, there was a delay on that front. The medium got delayed until February. And uh, the team behind this game, I didn't realize, is called Bloober Team. <laughs> uh, that name just kind of cracks me up. But anyway, uh, that studio released a statement. I'm not sure where, if this was on Twitter where it was released, but anyway, it said in part, quote, it wasn't an easy choice to make, but one made due to the COVID-19 situation in Poland, as well as the current schedule of other games on the market. And uh, gosh, you know, I don't know if I put the exact date in here, but it is slated now for February. Um, I actually want to look that up real quick. Okay. Um, while you're looking that up, um, I'll just comment on this. Guys, we don't want to get too heavy into what's happening in the world right now, but do not be surprised by more delays. Um, I'm not talking about like launch games. Like these are set in stone. What's coming out right now is set in stone. But like that PlayStation 5 slate that they just said is coming out early 2021, don't be surprised if stuff gets delayed. Um, That's what I would say. Just, Just be cautious about that. Yeah, yeah, I think those are wise words. And uh, this is my bad. It's actually delayed until January 28th, 2021. Okay. So it's not February. It's January 20, uh, 28th. So not a not a, not a a huge delay, but I think this is very smart. I think it's – I've actually never even seen a, a company acknowledge that they delayed a game because – I mean, they're basically saying Cyberpunk is coming out on the day <laughs> that we were going to launch. That I don't know, don't know if I mentioned that, but their initial oh. release date was December 10th, and now Cyberpunk right. is coming out. And they said in that statement – that part of the reason was the current schedule of other games on the market. So they're basically like, yeah, we're not going to get crushed by cyberpunk. We're going to move out of their way. Yeah, I just tuned that out because I was focused on the the other uh, reason they said there. That is an excellent catch, and I love the honesty. I always like the honesty. Yeah, me too. Um, speaking of uh, December 10th, the cyberpunk release date, CDPR did come out and kind of doubled down on their... Uh, commitment to release the game on December 10th. This is after some rumors swirled. I think what happened was their Twitter account kind of briefly re- removed the December 10th release date from their header or something like that, and then people started talking. Well, CDPR came out and said, quote, as a rule, we don't comment on rumors or speculation, but I will confirm, I'm not sure, this is just a representative, said, I will confirm we were just taking time to update all of our assets to reflect the new launch date of December 10th. So yeah, it took me a while to get through that, but they apparently are not budging. However, you know, take it with a grain of salt if you are still, um, if you still have a bad taste in your mouth from the previous delay. Yeah, and so yes, definitely stay cautionary. Like like Josh said, I wanted to add a little bit on to this story. I actually read as well that the reason that the CDPR employees didn't know that the game was being delayed to December tenth in the first place was 
like some insider trading stuff because the the company is public. So they didn't want to let that be known and then, you know, give their employees a chance to sell off some stock or something. Um, yeah, that's, I was going to say, sure enough, their stock did tank right after they made that announcement. I don't know if you saw that. It went down like 25%. Yeah, that's a big hit. And the reason is, is you want to get your games out before Black Friday. That is just how it works in the world. Um, so the fact that it's coming out in this release schedule, normally games don't come out after Black Friday because um, all of the Christmas shopping has mostly happened um, by that point. So still, I don't think this game is going to do poorly because of that release date. <laughs> no, this game is uh, could release like on the any day of the year, all, any of those 365 days, and it would uh, just destroy sales records, I think it will. Yeah, I, I, I expect it to as well. Even with all of this controversy, even after everything, I think we'll get a a pretty awesome game, um, and I think it'll perform well. Yep, yeah. So uh, December 10th, it's actually, as of today, that's almost that's a month away almost to the day. So uh, very exciting that we get to finally play Cyberpunk. So next up, the last story on our Weekend Previews segment, Phil Spencer gave an interview to GameStop, GameSpot, gosh, I've done that many times. Anyways, he was talking about um, Elden Ring came up in the interview, uh, and this is, of course, from Software's next game uh, that they're producing with uh, George R.R. R. Martin of uh, Game of Thrones fame, and we haven't heard much about this game really at all in the last little bit of time, and uh, Spencer apparently has played it. He said, quote, I have actually seen quite a bit. I've played quite a bit. As somebody who's played all of Miyazaki's games over the le- over the last decade, this is clearly the most ambitious game that he's done. And then uh, Spencer went on to say that he seems like he likes the game quite a bit from what he, he's played. He said, quote, I mean, I love his games, but seeing some of the gameplay mechanics, stuff that he's tackling, and he and the team are tackling this time of the setting, working with another creator in terms of story, I love it. So... Um, not really a whole lot to go on, but I did want to bring this up just because, again, we haven't heard much of Elden Ring at all. It is still um, in development, and uh, we just don't know when it's coming. Yeah, it's nice to hear a little bit more about Elden Ring. It kind of has that cyberpunk quality to it, at least it feels like, in terms of you hear one little thing about it, and people are instantly buzzing about it just everywhere across the the, the larger gaming community. So um, it's nice to hear that Phil Spencer likes it. I have a hunch we might see this game at the Game Awards, but we'll see. We'll see. It's it's a month away. Yeah, yeah. So that is it for the week in previews. We are now going to get into our deep dive discussion. And this week, Jackson and I got to play Assassin's Creed Valhalla by the time this podcast comes out. In fact, even as of today, many of you are playing it, but we have spent a significant amount of time and we're going to talk about just what we think about it. Uh, Jackson, I'm just going to, before I say what I think of the game, I'd love to hear your impressions. Awesome. So I've played uh, probably closer to 30 hours of the game now. Um, And I would have played more. Um, I'm curious, just before I go on, how much have you played, Josh? I'm at 36 hours, but about 10 of that is just me goofing around to get, you know, footage for my videos and things. So I'd say I'm probably around 25 hours into the actual like campaign. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, mine's mine's a mix of uh, goofing around and actually playing through. I'm actually not that far in the main story, so that kind of gives you a, a little glimpse into how much you can just spend exploring this game. It's a really, really pretty game that you can get lost in, and I think that most of all, my main takeaway with Valhalla is that it delivers on pretty much everything that Ubisoft was promising, almost to the letter, I think that it really does deliver the the, the Viking experience. Um, yeah, we we don't have a lot of Viking games. I mean, you could look at God of War, um, but it's hard to say that that's a Viking game. It, it takes place in a in a Norse setting, but like you are playing as a Viking, like the culture, um, the time period, everything is steeped in that. And I think even more so than like Odyssey or Origins made you feel like um, a Greek, you know. Uh, mercenary or origins like a a um gosh i'm blanking on what he was a medjai um you feel like a viking in this game so i think they really really pulled that off i think they also managed to bring back elements from previous games that work well um i think you could 
nitpick and say that uh, this game could be more assassiny. I think that's definitely a, a nitpick that that exists, and for a lot of people, it might lessen what they think about the entire experience. But more than anything, this feels like the best open world um, Assassin's Creed game to me. And I know that's maybe a lot to say because you know Origins and Odyssey. I haven't played the entirety of Valhalla, so I can't compare. But it feels like they really nailed the formula. It's just such a refinement of this new breed of Assassin's Creed. And um, yeah, I'm curious to, that was a lot of talking. What do you think, Josh? Um, well, I've had a great time with the game. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that I, I do love this game. I, I, I still like Odyssey better, but that's not to say that I don't like Valhalla. So what the, the, the most interesting change between the two to me is how like Valhalla is it's still massive but it's kind of peppered with these smaller bite-sized side activities which are really um they don't detract at least they haven't detracted me from the main story even though I'll spend like hours doing them I feel like at any point in time I could go back to the main story because whether it's uh, one of the mysteries or you're tracking down one of the the artifacts in the game, or you're looking for a wealth item, all that stuff, which is all the side content, just doesn't take very much time. So that's it. It almost makes it feel a little Breath of the Wildy in that sense. Um, that's a that's a great way of putting it, Josh. I, I, I you kind of made a light bulb pop in my brain. I really do like the side content in this game because it doesn't yank your focus away from the main story. That's a really good point because it doesn't take up like a quest log spot. You're not, you know, kind of taken on this very long thing you know world events are usually wrapped up in about 10 minutes from my experience yeah yeah if that i mean some of them are are, are i feel like even shorter than that and so that's really interesting um the the main story though right now as, as i am now i haven't gotten hooked into it i don't really know what the what it's leading up to and it, it could be because like you said um you know i've actually spent a lot of time on the side content and maybe i'm just not that far into the story so um i do like though how it's structured how you go to your um uh, what is the table called? The uh, alliance map. Alliance map. Yeah, you go to your alliance map and you choose kind of a story path that you want to take, a story arc, and then you leave and it's really a one. I think they even outlined this before the game came out, how you have these individual story arcs that take you out into the world and then bring you back to your alliance map. And I like that structure. It's uh, it's It makes it feel like it's divided into these bite-sized chunks. But um, the... Other things I really like about the game, I love the combat. I think the combat is much better than it was in any prior Assassin's Creed game. I feel like it's more challenging. I will say once you get the hang of it, it's not it's not hard, uh, but it took me more time to get the hang of it. I feel like the weapon selection, the way you can dual-wield weapons, and um, the way that the different weapons handle much differently makes it a much more, um, I don't want to say deep, but just it rewards experimentation. I posted a video to my channel which is like 14 tips for beginners or, you know, if you're just getting into the game. And one of them is definitely experiment with a lot of weapons because, you know, I started with a shield and an axe and I liked it, but I'm like, I want to see what else there is. So then I went with two axes, didn't really like that. Then I tried a flail and man, the flail is one of my favorite weapons. It and is. It's kind of hard to use. I don't know if you found that, but like it's so much slower than other options. Yeah, well, the fun, the crazy thing is it's in my left hand. If I hold a flail in my left hand, I don't like it at all because it's very slow, like you said. But if I hold it in my right hand, I can do I can strike. Um, I have control of each strike with the weapon. Uh, whereas if you hold it in your left hand, you do this special move where you kind of like swing it around in circles. And I didn't like it. So just a lot of very variance, variation, I guess, in the way the weapons uh, behave, depending on which hand you hold it in. And it just seems like a really good system. Um, and it fits, like you said, the Viking theme of the game where you can, you know, have, I don't know if you've tried holding an axe in your left hand and using that special move, you just do this really brutal hacking, hack and slash animation where you just chop uh, your enemy up. I mean, it's brutal. And so, um, I, I, anyways, that's an OP move in my book. Um, it's just too good. Um, but yes, I, I love what you said about combat and I'm right there with you. I just keep experimenting and I think, Rather than a game that forces you to experiment, like I kind of was hoping it would be, it's more of a game that requires that you experiment with it in order to get the most out of it. Um, so I, I'm right there with you. I, I think that you should experiment as much as possible to get as much out of it. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, have you tried stealth 
very much in this game. Have I tried what? Stealth. Um, so yes, but the funny thing is, is only for the purposes of my video, I wanted to have a tip on how to do stealth well. So I, you know, got into a distrust area they're called in the game. You have like restricted areas and then you have distrust areas and distrust areas are where you can sneak around if you wear your hood and you still get caught if you uh, get too close to an enemy, even if you are wearing your hood. I am, I'm actually a little disappointed with how the stealth works because it, what I found was that the tools they give you, the monks that you can blend in with or the tables or the benches that you can sit at or even the drunks that you can hail, none of that was as effective as just getting my my raven and using my raven distraction ability and summoning him down to distract an enemy and then sneaking past. Or I found that wolf, um, the man's best friend ability, which I saw you got as well, um, I think. Yes, I did. You can use that to kind of sick your your wolf on a guy and take him out without being caught. Those were way more effective than anything in the stealth, uh, the social stealth. That that's I haven't tried those things, and um, that's some really uh, creative thinking. I want to say on your part to try that stuff to see if it's more effective. That's a great point. Um, I haven't been to a big enough city yet to truly dive into social stealth. Although I will say that it makes me feel like the older games, being able to you know being in a place that makes you feel. Oh, like, oh, no, I need to be very careful. That's not something we've had um, in previous games. Now, you 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 were in, like, restricted zones. Those have always been a thing, right? But um, yeah. the element of, oh, I might be able to sneak past. If they see me, I can still get away. That hasn't been there, and that's what classic social stealth felt like. I'm glad we have that back. But I do want to say, and Band-Aid Fix is not the right term, but I do think that the way they make stealth work in this game within the newer version of the engine is not as good as it could be. And it's just a, it is just an engine issue. I I think they need to soft reboot or do something else in order to make Mm. stealth feel better because I think it's, it's just imperfect is the best way I would describe it. I think it could be smoother. Like some of the assassination animations, when you jump down on someone, there's a weird like jilt where the animation kind of stops as Eivor lands on the enemy and yeah, it's it's just a little sluggish. I think it's the best way to describe it. Yeah, I, I also think the environments, I'm not sure that they're the best for stealth. Like we're going to get into this later when we talk about what we've been playing, but I've been playing a little bit more of Watch Dogs as well. And that game has so many like vertical um, areas that you can lean up against for cover. And I don't get that, you know, Assassin's Creed being in a more like natural and broken down setting. There's It just doesn't feel like there's as many opportunities environmentally for stealth yes and for parkour um at least i've found it's a little hard i mean there's there's plenty of parkour i'm actually surprised by how much parkour there is but just like you said the environment doesn't lend itself that well and this is coming from someone who hasn't been to jorvik or london or winchester which are the three biggest cities in the game so could be wrong there but that's just my experience so far yeah, and London, I, I won't spoil it for you or anyone, but London did not look like I expected when I finally got there. It's <laughs> way different than I thought it was going to look. I'm excited. But it is a big city. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, so just another part of the game that it totally met my expectations, and it's basically exactly how I experienced it in the demo that I got to play, uh, the exploration, just how everything is, You you really have to... I don't know if you really have to work for it, but you have to put some effort in if you want to find like all the wealth opportunities and even the uh, like um, this. They're not called secrets anymore. The artifacts, those things are uh, they're 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 well hidden. They are you and and they 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 manage to implement enough mechanics to hide them like walls you might have to break down or um, cave entrances that you might have to find or what whatnot ladders that you have to fire at to lower them. I don't know if that makes sense, but there are enough mechanics that make those exploration elements um, interesting. At least 30, 35 hours into the game, I'm not tired of digging up buried treasure, basically. Me neither. And I think that's a testament to just just the design of those environmental puzzles. Just as from a macro level, I think it was smart to do it the way that they did. You have to give a little bit of effort every single time to get you know to what you're looking for. It's not just going to the icon and grabbing the thing. Um so I really appreciate that. And I wanted to go back to what you said about the Alliance map earlier with regards to exploration and side content. I think that there's just so much more cohesion with the game. Um, like we were saying earlier with exploration, it feels like you're actually just going out and exploring. You're not checking off 
boxes. You know, you're not just going to map icons. You are going out and exploring, doing a little thing, getting a reward from it. You get that dopamine hit, but you're still in the main storyline. You still feel like you're part of whatever quest arc you're in. And I think just the structure, the narrative structure of this game is probably its strongest uh, point for me. I, I think it's stronger than Origins or Odyssey, personally. Uh, yeah, and um, outside the structure, just the the writing and the acting, I feel like is the best I've seen in a Assassin's Creed game. I mean, I liked kind of the 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 lightheartedness of Odyssey, but this is a much more serious uh, tone. There is humor in it, don't get me wrong, but um, it's a very dark story from what I can tell so far, what little I've seen of the main story. And uh, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite parts of the game, I think. Yes, uh, mine too. And the world events, I don't know how many world events you've done, but m- most of the ones I've done, it could just be the ones I've done, are light. Like, I will go help some children with a problem they have. Um, I'll talk to uh, an old Norseman who's been abandoned by his crew and talk about his songs. Like they're they're very light, and a lot of them don't even have combat to them, which is kind of refreshing to me. Yeah, they have been very creative. So there's a lot of uh, t- different types of world events, but you're talking about like the ones that involve like NPCs that you have to like help out or solve something for them, right? Yes, the world events like the the Norse symbol it looks like a triangle. Right. Yeah. So there's. I mean, yeah. The, you know, I found one in Norway where I had to like. Um, there, I found a guy sleepwalking and I had to w- follow him and wake him up. And, <laughs> Did that uh, one, yeah. um, there was a really not, I, I will say it was dark, but it was still humorous, even though it was brutal. I found a guy with an ax <laughs> lodged into his head. Did you get to that one? I did. Yeah. And that one was just, uh, brutal, but at the same time, kind of funny. So yeah, those are, those are, those are entertaining. I'm also, you know, it, it took me like 20 hours to figure out that not all world events are those little brief storylines. There's also the, uh, the symbols that you have to align on those ruins that you find, like that's yes. a world event or finding um, these, uh, they're called like treasures of Britain yes. that you find underground. Like there's a bunch of different types of world events. So if you are playing the game and you don't want to interact with these people, but you want to do like more treasure hunt type of things, just explore all the blue dots on the map. That's it'll, it'll pay off. Yeah. Blue dots. Mysteries represent big buckets of things you can do. Another one is uh the fallen Drengir, um, Ragnar Lothbrok's warriors that are still there even after he was killed. Those are play out like boss fights. You have daughters of Lyrian. You know, there's there's a lot of different things that fall into those um, mysteries. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I did want to ask, um, how do you like the skill upgrade system or like the the character progression of the game? I like it. I have one gripe though, um, and this was not in the preview, and I assume just because that wasn't a finished version. It's a little annoying to make progress and just check out what's behind the cla- the clouded portion, like the fog of war, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, it's annoying to make progress, and then when you reset it, the game clouds it again. Like, if, yep. if, if I already know what's there, what is the point? Like, it's just irritating to me. I agree. That actually was going to be one of my tips. Like, just spend your skill points to get out into the clouds and or get into the fog of war and unveil it, but then I realized that it just gets covered back up when you come back to it. So that is annoying. Yeah, and I I like the general idea, though. I actually like a lot of the skills that you can get. Um, Some of them are a little too quality of life-y for me. For example, like auto loot is just kind of like, you know, that doesn't feel like a skill to me. Um, And and then, but then you have things like uh, Assassin's Cantrip or something like that where where you can parry and throw down a, a smoke bomb. Like that fundamentally changes play style. So, um I generally like the way it works. Yeah, I found like similar to abilities as well. I found like two or three skills that I love and use all the time, even though skills, I guess, are passive. But um, and then I have like one ability that I use all the time and the rest are just kind of like on the periphery for me. Right. Um, So I kind of wish some of the abilities were a bit more effective, like the dive of the Valkyries. To me, that's like I use it in every fight, but. I haven't found any other abilities that I, I actually should ask you any that you would recommend. Oh, you need to get harpoon. Um, that is one of the best abilities, especially if you're going to fight zealots. Um, if, if you guys are listening to this and you watch my stream today, harpoon is Viking harpoon is easily the best ability, um, in the melee tree, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, let's see. I don't love throwing axe fury. Um, I'm trying to think like rage of Helheim is there. Russian bash is pretty good. 
Uh, yeah, Russian Bash. I've I found Rage of Helheim. I do not like that. I just couldn't get the hang of it. <laughs> yeah, it's you have to get like a rhythm to it, but it gets kind of repetitive. Like I don't want to use that in every fight. Um, it feels like a press this button to win because it kills anyone that you <laughs> use it on. Um, one more thing. I didn't know how much longer we want to talk about this game, but um, what are your thoughts on the performance? Like honestly. It's not the best. Uh, like so, lots of we we actually talked about this before. Lots of screen tearing, and the frame rate is. Um, so I'm not like a frame rate. Uh, I don't know what you would call. I'm not that picky <laughs> about it. Right. But um, I have noticed that it dips below thirty. Uh, you know, I actually noticed it when I was looking at my footage on on my computer as I was making my videos. I was like, is that really how low it got? And then I went back to play it, and sure enough, it did. It did chug a few times, and I'm playing on a Xbox One X, so. You know, until you play it on a next-gen console or a PC, that's as good as you're going to get. So that's a bit disappointing. That said, when it runs smoothly, this game is absolutely gorgeous. It is. It's a very pretty game. Um, in my review, I said it's a little long in the tooth for this for for previous gen. I do think it's a little um, kind of like Grand Theft Auto Five on the <laughs> Xbox 360. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah, um, it was it, it chugs a little. Um, it's still beautiful. Like it looks great. Um, and, and I've actually played it enough on the Series X to tell you the difference. Like the frame rate makes such a difference for me. And I am a stickler for frame rate. Um, but also the 4K is just, oh, my gosh, a huge game changer hmm. um, f- for me. But there's still screen tearing on the Series X version. And yeah. Because th- that never seemed to slow it down or anything. I think that is an engine. Well, I don't know. I, I, don't, I mean, pfft, I'm not going to speculate. I'm no game developer, but it didn't <laughs> seem like that was a hardware thing. No, um, it's not a hardware thing. It's it's a it's a game thing. So I, I like, and I hate to be so harsh about this, but but seriously, when you put out a game and you've play tested it, like surely in play testing they get feedback that screen tearing brings you out of the experience. It it, it it's affected my immersion with the game, which. Man, I just hate to see that because I'm like really enjoying it outside of that. Yeah, it is a it is a bummer. And you know, I went back and looked at all the footage I got from the demo, and there wasn't screen tearing, which is weird. Yeah. So, what does that make us think? Because we're in our preview, we're playing on high end PCs. Is that mm-hmm. exclusive to consoles? We don't know. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. But yeah, that that actually is my biggest complaint. I am curious. Uh, anything else to report on playing it on an Xbox Series X versus a One X? <laughs> the loading times, Josh. If you try it out, you're gonna. It's gonna blow your mind. Um, I can't wait. Yeah. So the first load when you load a save, um, at least the first time I did it, it was about twenty seconds. Um, but after that point, it was about five seconds. And then fast wow. traveling takes less than five seconds. It's oh, the it fast is a, traveling is what gets me, man. Yeah, the fast traveling. Um, it, it takes forever sometimes, at least on the one X version. Yeah, I'll look forward to that. I've got my my Series X sitting upstairs in a box. Got to unpack it, and uh, this will be one of the first games that I end up playing, along with the other game I'm playing, which is what we're going to get into next. Jackson, uh, you cool to move on, or anything else you want to talk about with uh, Assassin's Creed? <laughs> no, that was an awesome extended uh, discussion. That's pretty much all I had to say. Overall, really loving the game. Yeah, I will cap it off with that as well. I, I do like the game quite a bit, and I'm looking forward to playing more uh, on my... Uh, on my Series X. So we're going to take our second break, and when we get back, we'll talk about what else we've been playing. We'll be right back. And we're back. We are now going to talk about what we have been playing aside from Assassin's Creed Valhalla. If anything, Jackson, uh, have you been playing anything else? No. (laughs) I literally have not, guys. Um, Just a lot of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, I will tell you what I'm planning to play when I pick up my PS4, PS5 in the morning. I'm going to play... Spider-Man Miles Morales, Demon Souls, and probably Bug Snacks. So those are going to be the first three games that I play on my new console. Nice. Well, I have uh, been playing one other game. I actually dug back into Watch Dogs Legion. Um, I really like that game, and I, I think I might even like it more than Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, it's just, I love how that game uh, challenges me in different ways. You know, each mission is this little stealth puzzle where I get to figure out what do I what do I need to hack how can I use my operatives in different ways and um, I think yeah if there's one thing you know I didn't get into this with our review that we just talked about of, of Valhalla but um, I just it's not that that game doesn't challenge me but Watch Dogs challenges me a bit more and I'm really enjoying it so I, I plan on also firing that up on my Xbox 
Series X when I get that plugged in. Nice. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing. I've actually got it downloaded. I just haven't played it yet on my Series X. Yeah, and it, it's got the rate. I don't know if Valhalla has ray tracing, but Watch Dogs does. So I'm excited to see what that looks like. Yeah, I think Watch Dogs, not to spend too long on this, but I think Watch Dogs has ray tracing, but it's capped at 30, which, again, doesn't matter for people who don't care about frame rate. But that'll be interesting to see the dynamic there. Yep, yep. And I'm right there with you. I'll be playing a bunch of stuff on my PS5, so should have some interesting stuff to report next week. And with that, we're going to move on to our mailbag. Every week we answer at least one question. Actually, I think we've only done one question on every episode. We always go a little long, so uh, we're going to do the same this week. We've got one question. This comes to us from Brock. Brock, we always appreciate your support and your questions. Thank you for writing in. Again, you can write into preloadedpodcast at gmail.com if you want to ask us anything that you want to hear us talk about on the next show. So Brock asks, with the recent reports of companies like Activision making $12 billion from microtransactions in one quarter, and he linked a report. There was an actual report with that. That's amazing. How worried should we be with microtransactions for the new generation of consoles? Also, what are your thoughts on microtransactions in general? Um, so what what are your thoughts on this, Jackson? I think this is a shift we're seeing with this industry that's been a long time in the making. Um, I think Activision have found themselves in a very comfortable place with a game like Warzone, where... Uh, the game's free to play, so it's very like Fortnite in that way, but they are selling a lot in cosmetic skins that don't affect the way you play the game um, in most cases. There are some like gun blueprints and stuff, but you can always make those on your own. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that they've really positioned themselves well to capitalize on this recent trend where gamers are willing to pen- pay extra for things that don't affect the competitive balance. And... It may be that, you know, Activision doesn't need to make more money. I totally realize that they make plenty of money, but I am not bothered by them offering, you know, uh, cosmetic options for people. I'm not bothered by Ubisoft having a store in their game. I know a lot of people have been spamming me about like, what, what's the MTX in Valhalla, you know, so I can make fun of it. Like, I, I don't care. Um, there's not even XP boosters in Valhalla, for example. So to put a cap on this, they don't bother me unless they affect the competitive balance. And since they really haven't lately, I, I really, this doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Uh, for me, there's the one trend that does bother me is when companies have uh, tacked on microtransactions post-launch. Like they try to get the review scores in and then they'll, I think Crash Bandicoot, uh, Crash Team Racing did this. And I think that, um, I don't know if it was microtransactions, but NBA 2K20 had a thing where, or 21, whatever they're on, released a uh, some ads into the game post-launch. So that's that's a that's troubling. But yeah. I if if this is how companies need I mean, the price of games has not gone up until now, uh, for something like 15 years or something like that. I know it did with this generation, but obviously games have gotten so much more expensive. And if this is a way that they can pay for it without increasing the price of games, and I'm right there with you, I don't mind, say, cosmetic upgrades. Obviously, pay to win is a whole nother ball game, and I'm not down for that, but if uh, like with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, for example, I never bought a single thing in that game, but they had plenty of stuff I could have bought if I wanted to. And I know a lot of people did, but I got everything I needed out of that game without giving them any extra money other than what I used to buy the game. Right. I think it comes down to um, and some of you with my take may think that I have the wolf pulled over my eyes here, but I think it comes down to just letting people spend money on the things that they want to. I mean, if it doesn't affect you, I'd I don't see why it's a problem. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's uh, microtransactions are here to stay, at least I believe. I don't think that that's going to change, even if games get more expensive. So hopefully, um, yeah, developers can be less intrusive about it. Moving Well, not even less intrusive, just keep it unintrusive. So with that, we are going to wrap it up. Uh, we went a bit long this week, but hopefully uh, everyone was interested and entertained to stick with us through to the end. Thank you if you were. Um, again, if you're listening to the show on any of the audio platforms, uh, definitely leave us a review there. Uh, we'd very much appreciate it. And again, you can write in to Preloaded if you want to have us discuss anything that's on your mind or if you have any suggestions. It's preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. And before we sign off, uh, anything you want to plug on your channel, Jackson? 
Um, I would just say look out for a lot of uh, Valhalla content and uh, next-gen content. I definitely want to put some other games on there. Um, it may seem like I'm a Valhalla-only channel, channel right now, but uh, that will change soon. Follow me on Twitter, JV on YT, and Instagram, JV.YT. Nice. And uh, yeah, on my channel, if you haven't checked it out, if you're just getting into Valhalla, I posted that you know tips video. Definitely check that out. And I'm also going to, I think I'm going to swing into the next-gen consoles and maybe the next-gen libraries that are upcoming. That might be a topic of uh, some future videos of mine. So stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, we very much appreciate everyone listening and watching. Oh, and you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. I'm at Quest Mode Games. So with that, we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.